Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling sports and music tickets. Other sites have gone back to the same old tactic of showing you a lower price and then charging you huge fees at checkout. But at SeatGeek, the price you see is always the price you pay. With SeatGeek, there's no guesswork. You'll know exactly how much you're paying, where you're sitting, and whether or not you're getting a good deal, all from your phone. So drop your old site and experience buying and selling tickets the way it should be. To start using SeatGeek, download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by After the Thrones. Remember to check out After the Thrones hosted by myself and Andy Greenwald. It's available after every episode of Game of Thrones on HBO Now, Go, and even HBO proper. Winter is here, and me and Andy have all the answers and analysis, so check it out. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch on the Channel 33 podcast feed. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor for TheRinger.com, and joining me on the other line, he never takes his powerful necklace off. It's Andy Greenwald! Dude, I never take off any of my accessories. You never know what's going to happen. Always bejeweled, decked out, and nothing but the finest watches and things. I just feel like, obviously, we're talking about Melisandre on Game of Thrones last night. I thought we were I just talking feel about like designer. You should, it was, it's a powerful argument against just like cosmetic surgery or you know, basically any kind of anti-aging trickery because yeah, you're just going to get found out. Game of Thrones is ageist. What's that? It's not, it's not an ageist show. They got they really got like some old people in positions of power on that on that piece. They, they have old people in positions of extreme nudity on this show. That's certainly true. Andy, we're talking about Game of Thrones. I don't know if everybody knows this, but you and I are doing a Game of Thrones after show on the HBO network. You know, I found out about that, and I, I'd like to commend us for being pretty chill about it on social media and not really promoting ourselves. Um, we are hosting After the Thrones. Uh, we had some guests this week, Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion, yeah. both of whom work at The Ringer. You can check out Jason's writings about Game of Thrones via the various non-website platforms that The Ringer has. He's going to be doing uh, his Ask the Maester column tomorrow as a special newsletter. He'll also be doing a Facebook Live event for The Ringer uh mallory obviously we 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 hope to have them on as frequently as possible jason wrote a little something for the ringer newsletter today you can go to the ringer.com and sign up for that after the thrones this is monday is on tonight on hbo at 10 p.m or 10.05 p.m pacific 105 a.m eastern you can yeah, get it you're, now you're, on you're, HBO. You're burying the lead, man. Which it, is it's, it, it exists. It's already there. Always. See, yeah, and, it's and, on. And in this twenty first, you know, this this instant gratification culture, you can just get it on demand. <laughs> you can get it on HBO now and HBO Go now. Like you can just do it now. I don't mean that's like I'm not renaming the platforms. Uh you should watch. We we really had a great time doing it. Um can't wait to do more of them. Yeah, can I say that was really fun. I can't wait to do more for the rest of the season. I hated um, working with you. You're awful. <laughs> no, you dragged it down every second you were on set. I was the just times like, I sp- the times I spent with Terry, the makeup person, and with Jason and Mallory, like, and just you know, just being on the set full of toys, like that was such a high for me. That just you know, anytime you were brought on, which by the way, I appreciate the way everyone respected my policy of never making eye contact. Yeah, you with were me. like Nathan Fillion on the set of Castle. <laughs> you, uh, just, no. you just won't talk to it. <laughs> Yo. I was like Rivers Cuomo on tour with Weezer. Like that time I was on tour with that band, with profiling another band. And like the rumor was that he was being transported to set in one of those like giant um, PA boxes. Oh, I thought it was a coffin. Well, I think he I think he had a coffin, but like it was a little gauche to go from the dressing room to the stage in a coffin. So they just wheeled him out. Like <laughs> That's the, the gauche part. Yeah. That's the gauche part. Um, I think if things. you're going to be a dickhead, just go ahead and be in a coffin. 
look, there's a reason why my audio sounds like this to you, because this is this is where I am. I come out to L.A. to record the TV show with you, and when I'm home, I am just full sarcophagi living. And I'm not making a, like, one-bedroom apartment in New York joke either. Chris, a um, couple thoughts, a couple thoughts just before we move on. Yeah. Um, I think people obviously expect this, and we can't wait to do it. We are going to be talking about Game of Thrones, of course, on The Watch. Um we're not going to talk too much about it this week because we obviously had a lot to say in After the Thrones, and we hope people check that out. But we will be having more conversations about the show on this podcast going forward. That's that's one. And two, I kind of would like to say that I feel bad about the Borat joke. <laughs> like, I don't want I, I I feel like we say it, you know, we're kind of like one take wonders up there. We just we put it all out there. It's on the screens. We're so grateful to have this opportunity. But can I like? Can I walk it back? You a should little say bit, that or, or it was that... the my wife jo- joke because people might think that you made a, a Jewish claw joke or something. Chris, some people might think I make that every time I'm on TV just by being there. But my my my, my the the thing I was saying is that people don't realize that you and I like you brought that back. Like you brought back that I've early Borat callback for a solid three months. Yeah, and and so kind of I forgot because we did three days of shows and test shows. I kind of forgot that they were running cam. You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought it was just us boys hanging out in a essentially a sealed studio crypt. Uh, so yeah. I, I apologize. But this is the kind of like Blu-ray extras that you can expect <laughs> if you yeah, when, watch our show and then listen to this podcast. When they release the director's cut. Um, Andy, today we are going to talk a little bit about what was an incredibly busy uh, week and weekend in, in, yeah. in, 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 in terrible ways and in great ways. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Prince. We're going to talk a little bit about that Bourne trailer that we haven't gotten a chance to chat about. But yeah. first, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about Beyonce's Lemonade release. Yeah. Did you did you see this coming? Did like I, here's the thing. You know, th- this thing was announced essentially via HBO. You and I, you know, we're in those boardroom meetings now. Like we're we're part of it. Like we. We, you know, my nickname for you is Time, and you call me Warner. So I kind of felt like I shouldn't have been caught flat-footed by this, but I had no idea this was coming. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that it was coming either. Although you have to guess that if you're going to go through the trouble of putting something, like if you're going to go through the trouble of having like a televised music video, or like television, like filmic event, you should have something to sell afterwards, uh, aside from just a single. So it's no, it wasn't surprising that it happened. I think it was. I, you know, for me, and we can get a little bit into the music if you want, but but we've now like gone. I, I feel like that the album release has been smashed. We've been talking about this for a while. This is not like an original thought, but just the idea that not only was this happening on Saturday night, it would have been hilarious. Like I'm trying to think of like who's going to drop an album on Thanksgiving night because on one half that would be so so rude, but on the other hand, like everybody's home, like and they, yeah. so maybe they would just download it. Like, no, that's why Making a Murderer took off over Thanksgiving yeah, weekend. That's so, why I mean, it was released. I'm waiting for someone who's like album comes out Christmas morning. But you know, can sat- I give can I give you some anecdotal evidence to back you up? Sure. When the attendees of the Seder I was attending in Lancaster, PA, over the weekend, found out that there was a new Beyonce record that dropped, like people were thrilled. Yeah. And I don't just mean the children; I mean like the great aunts and uncles. To be like, fair, you had given done the entire uh, Haggadah as Borat, so I think people were just looking for an excuse to get out of it. First of all, let me say. <laughs> The bitter tears. <laughs> See, I knew it. I knew you couldn't resist doing it. Um, I know. 
maybe we are finally learning and adjusting to this new cultural cycle, or maybe we are just thrilled that you know we aren't we aren't the watchers on the wall for this particular beat anymore. Because I feel totally confident and fine admitting that I have no opinion on this music yet, other than it sounds very cool and I'm excited to spend more time with it. Primarily, my reason for not knowing it is because I, I feel like I've been very transparent with people. I 1,000% quit title the day The Life of Pablo <laughs> became available on other platforms. Like, in, until you tell me that The Afterlife of Pablo is available on title, I'm not going back there, right? Like, that's I'm okay with that. I can wait. But in general, this feels fine to me. Like, the, 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 the swirling bay hive of conversation, you know, of course, focused on the, you know, the, the apparent... Uh, uh, thematic content of the record, which is that Jay Z is a is a dog, um, <laughs> and that's not a conversation about the music. And so I'm fine about both conversations existing. And I kind of want to say that my main takeaway from this is not this is not a hot take at all. Is that I do think Beyonce is a genius, and I mean it both in a calculating way and in a creative way, because everything I've heard from the album, I mean, it sounds very very forward thinking, very interesting, just musically rich and exciting, but. She absolutely knows better than anyone else how to control, how to how to work the room and control the conversation. And it, whether or not the the supposed or inf- inferred content of any of this is true, it almost doesn't matter because she wins by making that the conversation. It reveals humanity. It reveals tension. It reveals soap opera. You know, she's she's letting she's giving out little bits of of like one link at a time on this bracelet, and everyone's just grabbing for it. Yeah. And I think that's just that's just brilliant. That's how you get attention in a monoculture post monoculture world. Here's what I'm workshopping. Here's my here's my idea because it's the thing is it's 36 hours old. I haven't. I mean, I've listened to it. I haven't had. I I love hold up. I love. Uh, you, you know what the biggest asshole take would be is if you were like I'm really into the James Blake song because it's was just it James what? Blake. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's not my take, though. My take is that I th- think that this is in some ways like peace peak post rockism. Uh, like we finally have moved entirely out of the binary of singles versus albums mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, pop versus meaningful art or anything like that. And, and that she is sort of occupying a new space where I don't think that Beyonce is. These like I I don't know whether I don't talk about her in the sense of like Beyonce is a great album artist or Beyonce is a great singles artist because formation is as dense as any album. I mean it has mm-hmm. it, it packs so many ideas into the visual representation and the 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 sonics of that record and the lyrics obviously. Um, but it's like chopped up into these little parts that it doesn't feel like. I mean, have you heard formation a lot on the radio? I guess I mean I don't know if you listen to the radio. I. I do, and I have not. I don't remember ever hearing it once yeah, on, and yet on Hot 97 here. It's sort of one of the songs of the year, and I, I think that one of the most interesting things about her, aside you know, beyond the music and beyond what she means to people and beyond, obviously, her carving out this huge space for perspectives that have just been routinely shunned throughout the history of pop music, is this idea that she's just kind of creating her own rules and and i think that there's lots of room to criticize some of the things she's done or just like yeah. appropriately critique certain parts of of the music or maybe even not even be that into it or find it like uh, find it find yourself like a little wanting but what she's doing right now with the tools available to a modern pop artist is just fascinating the, the things that she's building haven't been built before in a lot of ways i mean she's I taking lessons from things like michael jackson premiering bad 
you know, as this 17, however long minute Scorsese movie that was when Bad came out. Um, it's reminiscent of that. And, and she's obviously using everything from that to, you know, Lemonade reference Julie Dash and, and Daughters of the Dust and, and all these other, like, directors. But it, it's just so interesting to see what she pitches. But let's let's consider also, I mean, and you can you can throw the Juliet Littman filter on this on your personal hot take Instagram and be like, you know, because Juliet is a great uh, Beyonce baby truther and believes that she did not give birth to her daughter and uh, is a big fan of pointing to people to a, very, a certain uh, video clip that suggests uh, some shenanigans when she was pregnant. So you can be cynical and calculated about her decision to do just about anything she does, and that's fine. But let's set that filter aside for a second, because I think that conversation is actually pretty interesting, too. But with this, with this album, again, we're not, this is why she wins, because we're not even talking about the music yet. We will talk about the music in the weeks and months to come. Like, I remember when she, when she surprise dropped the last record in 2013, the Beyonce record, no one knew what the hits from that album were. Like, Partition was sort of lurking there and was not you know it took repeated listens to realize just how sort of radical and exciting that song was um so we're not even talking about that but what we're saying is with this album out like the the dominant paradigm for a quote-unquote diva right is to be bulletproof and untouchable and lording over everything um you know whatever bits of humanity and emotion you let slip is very tightly controlled right like like drips and drops but otherwise you are you are bulletproof Mm -hmm. it's sort of you know it's what rihanna is sort of projecting all the time these days and other people in that in that sphere um but more importantly for someone like jay-z to be a you know to be a dominant male rapper the whole point of your existence is that you have sex with everyone all the time and that's just what you do and so for her to make this record which is basically like yes i am me but i am totally destroyed internally and this guy is a fucking asshole that is pretty radical, I think, for both of their roles, both in terms of their roles as individual celebrities who they are, but in terms of the roles they play in pop culture. And I don't know how that's going to shake out. And it was it's very, very interesting, Jay-Z's involvement in all of this. And, you know, because I guess he shows up in the special at the end and yeah. his own desire to maintain his family life separate and apart from this and not to be, you know, not to be pummeled by his sister-in-law in the elevator again. But... What does this say about his... I mean, is he just incredibly comfortable with transparency now and his role in his wife's career? Is he aware that she is a lot more popular than he is in many ways and certainly making a lot more interesting music at the moment? Yeah. What it, does that say about him going and it's forward? A, and, and, it's and, a very... And I say this apologizing for the fact that I'm making a strong female statement into what's up with the dude, that which is not the conversation to be having today necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit unavoidable, unavoidable given the content of the record. And I think that you touched on the transparency angle there and with Beyonce I think it's a very curated transparency I think that it is she doesn't tweet she her Instagrams right. uh, I mean I are are lovely but are not particularly revealing about who she is or what she's doing at any given day and she has sort of taken the aesthetics of life casting and being like radically transparent with people and vulnerable with people but stripped away all the mundanity of it so there is mm-hmm. no like check out this new coral lipstick. I mean, she does sell stuff, but um, it's all part of like the 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 larger message that she's trying to send. And in that sense, you feel like you know her and you don't know anything about her at all. I mean, if she came out tomorrow and did an, an interview and said uh, this this album is is an act of creative fiction, 
um, I mean, I think that would be in some ways fascinating, but it would also be very disappointing to some people who have so much invested in this being, uh, like these albums being diary entries. Yes. Well, let, let's think about, and I, 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 I assume if, if you had, um, 15 minutes as the, as the over or under in terms of when I would bring this back to Kanye, I hope you won your office pool. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that's so exciting about both of them is the way that they've shattered the the radio artist paradigm and that they're using their platforms to make pretty interesting art. And I, I love, I would love it if it was just all creative fiction. That's pretty cool. That's a very rare and cool thing for an artist of her stature to, to do once they have the bully pulpit. But they're interesting counterpoints because Kanye sort of floods the zone with oversharing. So you don't know what's real and what isn't. And that in and of itself is interesting. She does the opposite. Her control is immaculate. And so it would it would ruin everything if she came out and said it's creative fiction or if she came out and said it wasn't you know you make the art and then you let other people d- interpret it and that's that's a that's a, that, that's the boss move yeah it's an, it's almost this weird science experiment that she's trying to pull off knowingly or not where i think that when you engage with your public in any meaningful way there is a reciprocity that is expected so for as much as you're going to put out into the world they're going to put it back onto you and they're going to ask certain questions um, the things that you make have real world repercussions to some extent. And does, you know, what will be interesting is to see how over the course of the next few months with how the record is received, what songs sort of rise up out mm-hmm. of it and, um, whether or not she talks much about it and whether or not she talks much about what it's about and whether Jay-Z talks about whether it's about and whether Jay-Z, or whether they're just like, we're putting our art out into the world and then we're going to go about our lives, which is sort of well, the more pre-internet way of doing things. But I think that's probably, I think that's already been answered to some degree, because if you think about this hour-long special, I mean, that was essentially telling you the story of the record, right? It was divided into to acts, and I guess the final act is redemption or forgiveness or something like that. And so I, I hope that, that, there, that, that what that meant was that this is the st- final statement on it. This is what it is, and you know, and, and, and take it or leave it. And I, and my feeling is many, many, many people will take it, especially now that it's not locked behind Doug's vicious firewall on title. You know, and, and one thing I, I thought was interesting about the film accompanying the album, Beyonce being this enigmatic, elusive presence who is at once, you know, omn- like you, you feel like she's ubiquitous, but at the same time, not all there, you know, mm-hmm. is very reminiscent of Prince. And I'm sure, you know, <laughs> I would have loved to have drawn that comparison under better circumstances, but Prince passed away last week and there was something not quite mantle passing. And I don't want, you know, they're completely separate events, but there was something interesting in the way that there, there are a lot of similarities between the two artists and the way that they are constructing a career. Yeah. I would say, um, you know, we're talking about this video and, and the stuff that the Beyonce is putting out and just we are at the point in our lives and just where we are as cultural, um, you know, de- as devourers of culture that we can receive this and then immediately pivot to talking about what it means and what might the intent behind it be. But I'm thinking about the stuff that she's playing with. And you mentioned, you know, uh, she's talking about f- a feminist poet. She's talking about carrying hot sauce in her bag. She's collaborating with artists ranging from from um, James Blake to Jack White and, you know, a song is inspired by a tweet tweeted by Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend. There's so many different spices in this in this bullion, so to speak. And Somali British poets, and she's drawing influences right. from people like we mentioned, Julie Dash. And so, what if you if you are young and you 
get those things and they overwhelm you and that and, you know being overwhelmed by reference points and and collisions is sort of the 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 way all fandom begins you know or all investment in art begins and and the connection that i would make with that to prince is is thinking about and this is obviously we were all forced to think about this last week in different ways but my awareness of prince is very much tied into mtv and getting mtv when i was um like six years old and basically watching it never not watching it essentially until i left for college um and the thing about prince is that he was it's impossible for people who weren't there it's, it's impossible to really communicate just how omnipresent he was how every time he put out an album or a video it was an event and it was everywhere and how different those songs and videos and albums were and you know when i think back on being becoming aware of certain key artists particularly from that era like michael jackson or bruce springsteen or madonna or or uh, or flock of seagulls you know all the greats um prince freaked me out yeah just, that is my that's, that is my I, main I want, memory i'm 100 there with you where it's like i i remember obviously like i had like a surface relationship with his music growing up but was usually you know i was very young obviously when when purple rain came out and then when like i think some of his like post purple rain classic stuff came out you know th that stuff is all just essential to own but my real real introduction to him was in the mid 90s when i actually started reading music criticism and people were like writing these pieces about like in the spin alternative guide and you read about sign of the times and i remember buying sign of the times and just being like this is the monolith i can't get into this yeah. this is so weird I mean, he yeah, had a song is... called "If I Was Your Girlfriend," and he sang it, and it's fucking crazy. But this is, and that was know, like, often... I mean, it's, it's it's crazy. It was crazy to hear that in '96, like in the way that I was like, where you're like, this is the most popular music in the world, and like this guy was doing this stuff with us. No, I I I completely agree, and I you know I think we've often because of our backgrounds and our interests framed the idea of this sort of pre-digital music discovery in very sorry to say it, raucous terms. Yeah. Like, the analogy I always use is about, you know, how you discovered punk rock before the internet. Maybe you see a flyer or a friend's older brother and you go to a show and you basically have to be, it's not real bravery in a certain way, but culturally brave enough to go to the unknown place and experience it. And the truth is, that's what Prince's music was on a very, very large scale. Because from seeing the uh, When Doves Cry video constantly at eight, the age of seven and being like, oh, that's what sex is. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet to and frankly i still don't think no, I'm ready I, for I that. mean you you you've like with when doves cry and i've seen you know you have to like when you listen to the, like the things that he is saying and you imagine that the number like the most popular song that year was this song where he was just singing about maybe i'm just like my like you know like i'm yeah i, I didn't even know what that meant nobody knows what it means to be just like your father back then or no, be just like your mother like you don't have an idea of what that is when you're 12 like that you're taking on the traits of your parents of repeating their mistakes or something like that. So and it, then the Trojan horses that he would throw up were just mind-blowing. I agree. And then you mentioned the sort of the, the monolith. Like, yeah, when Sign of the Times came out, I remember very clearly, I think I had a Rolling Stone subscription at that point, and I was like 12 or 13, and I think it was a four-and-a-half or five-star review. And it basically... The, the review was, was I don't know, I don't remember who wrote it. It was, it was thoughtful, it was detailed, it was a rave, but it was basically, to me, it could have just been like two cross strips of police tape being like, you can't handle this, you know, because it was basically saying this is an enormous album, it is dense, you know, it is it is rock, it is funk, it is R&B, it is everything. And the truth is, it is everything, and that album is still amazing, as is his entire catalog. But 
I I I think um, you know, one of the reasons why my favorite remembrance of Prince, and we could have a whole separate conversation about um, you know, the 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 grief machine that that just you know that, that fires up whenever a celebrity dies these days. But might have been Rob Sheffield's piece in in Rolling Stone because you know we we know Rob he's a friend of ours and he's for a long time been one of our favorite music writers, but he really contextualized Prince's art not in the personal through the personal prism that so much of you know quick Twitter reaction is about, but basically saying here is exactly how this guy owned and defined the eighties yeah. when he talked about how nineteen eighty four arguably um, the greatest year for pop radio ever. Every artist from 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 Van Halen to I don't even remember who else he cites, they were trying to make Prince songs, and then Prince made the best Prince songs that year. Yeah, and it, um, it, there's not a lot of artists. I mean, there's the Beatles, there's the Stones, there's Prince, where they have a bunch of songs that created like basically a, a rhythm, like where they were like, "This is a template." So, mm-hmm. so people will do housequake style songs or songs that like try to be Kiss, but. Yeah, you know, or, or let's go crazy, or let's or Raspberry go crazy. Beret. And then when Prince decided to do someone else, like a different subgenre of music, like he would play karaoke or whatever, and he would do "I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man" and just be better than all late period replacements, you know? Or yeah, <laughs> it would just be like the best pop rock song that you could make. Or, or, or when he let other people do it, yeah. like "Manic Monday" for the Bangles, "Nothing Compares to You" for Sinead O'Connor, and then and let me just say, <laughs> here's here's my personal anecdote. In 1989, when the Batman soundtrack came out, I I I, don't, I didn't have a CD player, but I insisted on buying it on CD because I thought this was such a monumental. Oh, it's like investing in a baseball card. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, well, I was just also like, this deserves the highest fidelity possible, That's so I hilarious. can hear him do a Jack Nicholson impression on Bat Dance. But and, and let me also say, I still in the midst of this, very few people were were verbally riding for what I think is a very underrated period of Prince, which was post-Bat Dance, basically the um, Diamonds and Pearls yeah. and the and the Love Symbol record, which that was high school for us, and he dominated. And that is a period that I think most people think of as, you know, he was unhappy with Warner Brothers and he was itching to get out of his contract. But like like Seven... Is that the cross in Seven? When's the cross? Se- I mean, Seven just owned. Oh, yeah. Was that 92 or 93? That's still a great song. Um What's your? Do you have like uh, some other like underrated Prince bangers or gems? Just the ones you like? I, I I go back to Sign of the Times. I mean, it, 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 this week when you know when 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 the when critics like us sort of lift their bleary heads from their desk to to, to talk about it, I still think the Ballad of Dorothy Parker, which by the way, Rob Sheffield in that Rolling Stone piece just almost casually analyzes better than I've ever seen the song analyzed. Um, the thing that he could do is to pull a song like that out of his back pocket in the midst of a double album that is not necessarily like anything he'd ever done before and not necessarily like anything he'd ever done since. I always point to that as my favorite for that reason. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't get a chance. I, I saw Prince once when I was like much younger. I didn't get a chance to see him on this um, this piano tour that he was doing. Yeah. But two of my favorite sort of uh, lesser known tracks are Sometimes It Snows in April and How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. And he was just like... Ooh, good. Two just like completely perfect piano ballads, completely note perfect. And uh, how come you don't call me anymore? I remember I didn't, I'd never heard of that song. And it was in Girl Six, that Spike Lee song movie, mm-hmm. where the phones are falling from the sky, um, which is a little bit of an on the nose imagery from Spike Lee. But you know, it was a very, <laughs> very effective use of that song. I, I you know, you, at least he left us with so much music. It's it's That's a real thing. tragedy, and and it's you know, 
Um, just, he was so young, uh, but he did. People are going to be able to explore his music for a really long time. That's the thing that almost, um, and I do, I do feel like we have to say, his Super Bowl performance was the oh, greatest yeah. of all time. Oh yeah, that was I'm like that I, thing was when he just goes into Foo Fighters' "Best of You," and now it's like Foo Fighters probably shouldn't play that song anymore. No, I mean he, he, he just just almost in the best possible way, contemptuously, dismissively better than yeah. anybody else, even at their own stuff. And you know that that clip that's been going around of him soloing it on uh, "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." The oh, song and Tom he apparently Petty's had, just like laughing because he's just like I, he, I might as well have he, two left hands. Think, look at that Hall of Fame clip, and it's basically a dividing line on that screen between what, what music is thought of as being and what it could be. Because it's Jeff Lynne and Tom Petty, and, and no one rides harder for Tom Petty than the two of us. But you know they are doing essentially a respectful, traditional interpolation of a Beatles member's song. And then Prince comes in and is like, okay, you could do that, but what about this? It's literally the Marvin Berry phone call yeah. from Back to the Future moment. And that was so interesting to see because he was so so deeply rock and roll in a way in a way that is very not occurrent and very not you know it's sort of some I, I wish i could cite this but one of the smarter things I, I i read in the last week was basically saying that one of the reasons prince disappeared in many ways from the mainstream musical stage not literally because he was always touring and always performing you know three or four or five hour sets but from certainly from the radio or from the national conversation was that he represented the perfect nexus of of R&B and rock and roll and he could never really account for the fact that pop and hip hop took over like those weren't the fields that he was right. as interested in pursuing um so you could say that maybe you know he fell off a little bit in terms of the the consensus imagination because he didn't want to play the record company games anymore but i think he was stymied by that in a way but who could even care about that because those 15 17 years at the beginning of his career are completely flawless and as you said this is the thing why the grief is for is legitimate but people are in many ways mourning their childhood and when they fell in love with these songs because these songs are forever songs yeah and you know, i think and that there was a sense that he still had a lot of music to play do you know what i mean and I, that he still had a lot of tours to go on and that he still had a lot of parties to throw and a lot of uh a lot of places yeah. to explore um and a lot of low-key humanitarianism to do this this these stories that are coming out about him you know, and, and you forget, you forget how funny he was, but you also forget like he was at the Grammys talking about how black lives matter just when, you know, when the room full of billionaires who did not want to listen to anything he had to say. Yeah. Like fascinating, totally sui generis figure that we will. I mean, I, I, I we should be so lucky to see someone like that again. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back. Talk about Jason Bourne. Want to tell you about our sponsors, Uber. We all have those times when we need a little bit of extra money. Well, I've got a really easy way for you to do it. Drive with Uber. Uber is a smartphone app that connects riders with drivers. So as a driver, it helps you make extra money while driving your own car. And it's totally flexible. You don't have to quit your day job to make more money because Uber lets you make money on your schedule. Whenever you need to make extra money, just turn on the app and drive. A few hours here, a few hours there, it all adds up fast. And it's really easy to get started. First, go to drivewithuber.com and sign up for free. You can do it right from your phone. Second, answer a few basic questions about your car and you and then get approved. Third, start driving. That's all there is to it. Told you it was easy. Start enjoying the flexibility of working when you want and earning extra money on your schedule sign up to drive with uber today go to drivewithuber.com that's drivewithuber.com drive with u-b-e-r.com uh we're back man uh you know one of the totemic movie franchises of this podcast the one <laughs> this podcast of, yeah of this podcast at least is the born series uh yes and we talked a little bit about the first trailer for jason Bourne that came out a couple months ago 
but a more fully fought out, more well-rounded trailer dropped last week. So we wanted to talk about it. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here with you. Okay. Okay. Cause I just feel like if you were just like, Duh, I took the Molotov cocktail. Uh, it's just, where are we going with that? So here's one thing. I don't think I ever noticed how formulaic the Bourne movies were until I watched this trailer. Oh yeah. Because I think I thought, okay, Greengrass is coming back and Damon is coming back. So they must really have some, something new to say, you know, cause I, that was really what they had been sort of stressing over the years is that, well, we won't come back unless the story writes, you don't want to come back and ruin what we've established unless we have like something else to say. Mm-hmm. And I don't doubt that they think, and that there will be a lot of, like a lot, it, it will be very cool. And it, I, I'm happy for them that it's going to be about a post Snowden world. Um, yeah. I'm not so sure if Snowden is like the, the story crack that people seem to think it is. For all yeah, this. no one's quite cracked that story. Yeah, crack it's like it I, I got it. it. Everybody's listening, but you know, I never noticed how the movies are basically he's on the run with a phone, getting into fights, while there is on the other side a control room of people monitoring him and stressing about what he's doing, and that I is essentially like each one of these movies. You're not mentioning the crucial role of the Queen Julia Stiles in all of them. No, I mean but... I didn't know that Nikki was going to be the main character of this movie. Look. look. That's great. I completely agree with you, and I hear you. And, you know, if you're sitting trying to crack, like, what makes this... What's the next story to tell here for a story that is essentially finished while pretending that this isn't just the the best American Bond that we, you know, that and we'll ever get. maybe that's where you gotta go. You gotta be like, it's American Bond. Now, I'm, I can just as wait, well but, easily jump and just tell you all the cool things about this, but you go ahead. But, but no, but I'm saying that... But I, I think that we need to embrace that as fans, because just if you're trying to crack the story here... I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. Him saying, now I know everything is really the only thing left. Because um, I mean, that's the thing. is He's like, I remember everything. And she's like, but you don't know everything. And that, and that right. and so it's essentially like you don't know anything. That's a good point. I, here's what I want, though. And I, you mentioned Bond before. Or I, well, we got to Bond before I intended to. Because what I wanted to say was, as much as, you know, every year when the Oscars come around and there's a lot of discussion like who's going to get the hammer slot in the in memoriam segment like who who will be the person who gets gets to fill that that crucial role similarly like every time there's a bond movie it's like well who who is going to be the the quote-unquote bond girl this iteration i feel like just as valuable in terms of hollywood uh jobs or real estate should be the position of the person who gets to stand in a room full of monitors and screens wearing an un, a disheveled shirt and say, oh, my God, that's Jason Bourne. Now, this time, Vinyl's own Ato Essendo gets to do it. And I definitely said his name wrong. He deserves better. But thrilled to see him in that role, a role previously filled by such luminaries as David Strathairn, Chris Cooper, Brian Cox. Like, this is Ed Norton, although he didn't really say it, but that was the role. Like, that is... To be a tech in the... It's a, it's a stepping stone, right? Mm-hmm. The god Corey Stoll was an anonymous tech in Born Legacy, and look at him now, <laughs> Frenching Andrew Rannells on the season finale of Girls. Like, anything is possible for this role. But it doesn't matter that it's expected. I, I, I just hope in my life to one day either just, just be in the same room for the creation of something as, a, as emotionally electric as a dude who is stressed out with pit stains saying, oh my God, that's Jason Bourne. So here's also the other thing that we haven't really thought about is the possibility that Jason Bourne is actually part of the Ocean's 12 side universe and that this film is actually just Linus versus the Night Fox. (laughs) 
<laughs> because Vincent Cassell I, plays the Clive Owen character in this movie. I mean, don't you think that they're steering into those things by having Tommy Lee Jones hunting a fugitive? I know. Like, I think, I think they know. And we also didn't mention... This is a movie with two queens. Yeah. Do you think that you're going to talk about Alicia Vikander? To be clear, I've been talking about Alicia Vikander for the last three weeks. You just haven't been able to to differentiate it from the other things I've been saying. Is Vikander wearing a Bluetooth headset the ultimate heat check? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what what if she had a fanny pack on, too? Can you think, yeah, seriously, could she have, like, a a beer helmet? (laughs) Like, what what could Vikander do? (laughs) I, I like your saying. Interest. So, what if she showed up in this movie wearing a Bluetooth headset, <laughs> a flip phone, a fanny pack, a Make America Great Again uh, baseball cap, <laughs> and she was like, "Jason, I can get you out of of Tangier." And she like, was chewing tobacco like ninety one Lenny Dykstra. Yes, <laughs> yes, and she was like, "The only I can take get you somewhere safe. This is only I can making you more attractive to me. What am I doing? I can, I can take you." To, I could take you to Lenny Dykstra's brokerage office. <laughs> I have a safe house there. No one's been paying attention to it since the financial collapse. Um, yeah, now she's now she's just even hotter. Thanks a lot. I don't even know if I can continue with this podcast anymore. Um, well, what else you got? You got we want to talk about any TV stuff before we go. I, yeah, I wanted to I let wanted... people know with the reups, we're gonna we're gonna try. Like we're we're gonna try and do some stuff. Yeah, like Thrones preview stuff and just check TV check-ins, but it's all schedule permitting. Yeah, because we we're, we're filming the show uh, in LA, but I did want to, you know, we 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 missed it last week. I did want to jump on uh, the Night Manager for a second, oh, yeah. which is the the AMC miniseries um, based on the John Le Carre novel. Um, it premiered last week. It stars Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie, and um, I think I think we're both in on this. I think we're both excited to watch it. Um, Mainly because as soon as they said John le Carre adaptation, or you know, even before I saw his name on it, they were like, "Oh, European spy thriller with a good cast." Obviously, you and I are all in on it. The interesting thing about it so far, to me, and I, we, I don't think we've even talked about this offline, so I'm curious what you think. I've only watched two, but and the cast is is great. It's really great to see Loki as a leading man. I think Hiddleston is a really good, interesting actor, and I think I, it's it's so funny to see Hugh Laurie be use his actual speaking voice I know. after after seeing him diagnosed not lupus for nine years and then also he's on veep currently um it almost feels like a dare uh but these guys are terrific and the show looks really good but the vibe i'm getting from it um which doesn't take away from my enjoyment is that it definitely feels like a an attempt to spin a legacy forward and what i mean is le carré is very much still alive and in, in writing but he's a little bit older and the the dynamic the main dynamic of his work that we love is a certain um chilly precision you know that especially worked with the cold war books but i think it's come out best when filmmakers or adapters have embraced that like with both versions of tinker taylor soldier spy this is the first project that his children have embarked on basically to keep his keep his stuff moving keep that ip moving right mm-hmm. so in a way there's and a lot of writing on it. is coming out pretty much now right. anyway yeah it, it's not just oh here's another great lucario book let's just let's prestige it up it's like how can we pay how can we spin this forward and give get a place at the table of of uh television movies going forward and because of that the this movie feels like a i feel like i'm like busted podcast marshall McLuhan here but like it's like a hot adaptation yeah i mean Does that makes sense you are so right because tinker taylor which is his sort of masterpiece and that the whole 
Smiley Carla saga, which is makes up a lot of his um, his reputation. I mean, he is probably he's probably he's probably one of my three favorite writers, but most people know him for that. And the protagonist of those books, and in those and the BBC adaption, and the, even in the um, the more recent Thomas Alfredson adaption of the of those books, is the most nebbish person in the world. Yeah. So to see it be like Hiddleston and Ewan McGregor and our kind of traitor and just all the hot people it's it is a little bit jarring because even in night manager you know which is set in this very luxurious mm-hmm. like upper upper echelon of wealth um and so is our kind of trader which is set in the you know with, with Ru- the russian mafia um it's just strange to see, see everybody so tanned and fit you know right it's a great point like the star of tinker taylor the most recent version is gary oldman like even Constant Gardner, which is a film I really, really like a lot. Um, you know, Ray Fiennes is sort of the perfect star because, you know, in, in certain light, and especially when he was younger, he he looked very much like a dashing leading man, but he kind of is a character actor who played Falling Apart as his, as his main choice in that movie. It's like, um, it's interesting because, in, you know, when we, when we would talk about House of Cards, and I mentioned Veep, but when we talked about House of Cards and Veep, like House of Cards is the version of Washington that it likes to believe that yes. it is, where yes. they're like dashing gladiators, but Veep is the truth, where it's just like pleated pants and, and lanyards and stale pizza. Yeah, and, nobody wants and to despair. watch a House of Cards that actually look, like looks like Mitch McConnell. Exactly. And and the thing about that made that makes Lacare so devastating is that he he shows just the, the bureaucracy and the the, the mundanity that defines these these spy games, right? Like people looking for th- for kicks and thrills in a world that is essentially value neutral on heroism. Yeah, my um, my favorite and- part of Night Manager so far, I've seen the two is is definitely Tom Hollander, who is also the most British, like normal looking British person in the show in the show so <laughs> yeah. far, and he plays quirky and he's a great British character actor who's been in tons and tons of stuff. But it's like he's the he is the kind of actual real Lacare. And Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie and Elizabeth Debicki, who's incredible. Uh, and she- I was going to say, she's really good. Yeah. I really like her. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah, that's pretty interesting. I think one last thing I wanted to jump on here, because, you know, if the, our podcast is nothing if not of the moment, especially our, our in general, you know, I, I, that, that that's used, usually reserved for our film coverage when I like to review movies that are anywhere from 12 to 27 months old. Um, but... You know, a song that really got us through the taping last week of After the Thrones, Designer's Panda just hit number one in America. And I just want your, I just want to know. I just want to like open the tap and just tell me what you have to, what you have to say about that. About what? Panda is the number one song in America. <laughs> Wait, like, isn't that, you're about isn't that, panda? isn't that weird? Panda? No, no. I'm talking about Panda. <laughs> uh, that's fucking crazy. I, I like this song. <laughs> But that is one of the weirder number ones in a minute. Like, I, I right. was like, Tate, is Panda for real? Like, you like that song? Tate's shaking his head. Tate just doesn't want any part of it. Like, but there have been some smart things written about this song where it's just like, what a life cycle. What? Of course, but he's past that now. Like, this is the thing about this song. Has any song, has this, has this life cycle ever existed before where something is released and everyone's like, ha, ha, ha. This is a novelty ripoff single you, because this 18-year-old. But when 18-year-old, Panda comes on, do you listen to it? always yeah all the way Absolutely. through or do you yeah. wait for i got broads in atlanta and then you move on no, no i i can I, i'll never give it up because the <laughs> thing about the song obviously i like it best when it's interpolated into father stretch my hands part two on the life of pablo yeah. but the thing about this song 
we were talking about like creative fiction and performance art. Like maybe this guy is a genius because when an 18 year old from Brooklyn who just was playing video games and bought a beat from some dude over YouTube. And then the first thing he says is I've got broads in Atlanta when both are demonstrably false, like hip hop Rick Ross aside. And that was an issue usually doesn't embrace uh, fabulous, you know, um, what if this is just a genius long con and he, he, what if this dude is just like a, a collage artist, oh, like, you know, like what if designer, what if he oh, is he's like mystique in X-Men and if he, <laughs> he touches you, he just turns into you. I'm not, I'm not going that far. I'm saying what if he's Marcel Duchamp? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Like what if let's just, I mean, if, if not, Plus, then this is his greatest trick he's pulled. Can, can we following up on this? Can I just put a little 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 bee in your bonnet mm-hmm. for future podcasts um i think it's well established now that you cannot have a viral hit let alone a real hit without having a corresponding emoji to your project this guy's a genius um, panda is the most brilliant one but obviously lemonade has one and um yeah, it's why kanye honestly why he probably should have called the album waves but so we should take some time and just try and guess like what are the undiscovered emojis you know what I mean? Like, what are the ones that are going to be the in like third Q third Q twenty sixteen? Like, I mean, Jeezy. Is, we, if Jeezy came out today and he had the snowman emoji, it would have been a fucking rap. It would have been a rap, right? That's what I'm saying. But you know, I, I, I don't know what the next move is. Like, obviously, rest in peace. Prince is not around to take advantage of the purple eggplant. Like, can he do probably should have. Penguin one. Yeah, that, I'm just saying. You don't I'm actually want to like, interrogate this. You just want to put it out there. You're, no, I want to interrogate. I just didn't think you wanted well, to do Future it now. Future already has the like... purple rain one. Shout out to, to Josh Gordon having that as his Twitter bio. That's such yeah, a... no, that that's genius. But like, Jesus. what about what about the monkey covering his ears? Like, when's that guy going to get some when's shine? This, you know what I mean? When's this like coconut shrimp joint going to happen? This, like, Who's going to see that? That's new. Yeah. I, oh, I've seen it. Who's going to differentiate the two dragons? Because there's the big dragon, and then there's like the Komodo dragon head. And which one are we using? Like, there are a lot of things out there. And we need to we, we we should be able to do some something predictive There's about this. There's a lot this, more I emojis think. than I thought there were. <laughs> I'm like on page are you, twenty. Are you are you are you seriously sitting there with Tate scrolling through your phones right Tate's now? Not helping. He's just listening. You, to Panda. The truth he, is, Tate's I, just listening when, to Panda. Chris, There's when we Korean record flags? remotely, <laughs> when we record remotely, I assume you're just scrolling through your phone. But now <laughs> that I have confirmation. <laughs> Oh, you have we my should, undivided should, attention. Uh, Andy, after the away. Thrones tonight, uh, 10.05 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 1.05 a.m. Eastern on the HBO Network. But please, just don't even wait. Go to HBO now. Go to HBO Go. HBO On Demand. You can watch it there. Uh, Chris, people people need to know that HBO Now is just HBO Go for people who don't have cable. Like, it's all it's all out there, man. Okay. Just share it. Are you, are you licensed to give that advice? <laughs> Not in written form. <laughs> yeah. Did you get that at the last board meeting? They were like, "Go ahead and be the be the, av- the they, ambassador for the brand." They, 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 yeah, they, they, they chirped me on my next tell about that. It's the same one that Vikander has in the Born trailer. <laughs> Make Vikander great again. All right, man. See you later. <laughs> great job, Redsky. <laughs> Want to say thank you to our sponsor, Uber. We all have those times when we need a little bit of extra money. Well, we've got an easy way for you to do it: drive with Uber. Uber is a smartphone app that connects riders with drivers, so as a driver, it helps you make extra money driving your own car, and it's totally flexible. You don't have to quit your day job to make more money because Uber lets you make money on your schedule. Whenever you need to make extra money, just turn on the app and drive. A few hours here, a few hours there, it all adds up fast, and it's really easy to get started. First, go to drivewithuber.com and sign up for free. You can do it right now on your phone. Second, answer a few basic questions about you and your car, and then get approved. Third, start driving. That's all there is to it. I told you it was easy. 
Start enjoying the flexibility of working when you want and earning money on your schedule. Sign up with Uber today. Go to drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drivewithuber.com. Also want to let you know that After the Thrones is your only Game of Thrones post show that you need. So just check that out. HBO Now, HBO Go, HBO On Demand, regular HBO on Monday nights. Uh, it should be available after midnight on Pacific every Sunday, Monday morning. Uh, while you're here, please check out the NFL Draft podcast. Mallory Rubin and Robert Mays, we've got two coming this week, NFL Draft this weekend. I'm sure I will be happy with whoever the Eagles pick. Thanks for listening.